Open your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Good worship this morning. Gosh, JT and Brittany just killed that song. That was wonderful. So good. Killed this song for you older folks. That, that's a good thing now. That's a good thing. <laughs> if you ever killed a song, it may have been a bad thing, but when they kill it now, it's a good thing. Uh, so keep up, y'all. Uh, John chapter 21. A little bit out of order, we're following the sort of the life of Simon Peter. And so this morning in John chapter 21, a little bit out of order as far as Easter goes, because this is one of the resurrection appearances of, of the risen Christ, Jesus, after Easter. But we're following the life of Simon Peter, right? And next week, I want to be in the, in the book of First Peter for Easter Sunday. So uh, just do this with me this morning, John chapter 21. Uh, one of the amazing moments where Jesus appears to the disciples. Have you ever tried to recreate a moment? Um, I had a buddy who was going to uh, propose to his girl, and so he decided, big romantic dude, he decided to totally recreate their first date. And so he arranged to go to the very same restaurant. They sat at the very same table. He put everything together exactly like that very first moment. Only this time, of course, they had a little bit of a history of love and sweetness. And it was all the same, but all so much better because he recreated that first moment of romance between them. This is sort of what Jesus does in John chapter 21. So don't miss that. Don't miss the beautiful way that in John chapter 21, in this resurrection appearance, Jesus is recreating an earlier moment from the life of James, John, and Peter. We read together that first moment when Jesus calls them. They were fishermen, right? They were fishing, and Jesus creates this fishing miracle where he says, hey, cast out on the other side. They end up with the, the nets tearing, the, the boat sinking with so many fish. Remember that story? And then Jesus tells Peter to follow him, follow me, right? And so notice how in John chapter 21, years later, after the disciples have seen Jesus die, and after now they're beginning to understand that he has lived, he's risen, he's alive, uh, Jesus recreates that moment, and it is an amazing moment for them, but an especially amazing moment for Simon Peter. Remember last week we were talking about Simon Peter as a man who hit rock bottom. He thought he would never see Jesus again. But now this is probably the third time he sees the risen Christ, and uh, this is an important moment. Uh, John chapter 21, Jesus uh, appears recreating a moment, and after this, nothing will be the same. John chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. They couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. 
The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. For they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish. That is a very specific number. Isn't that amazing? 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Okay, stop. I find that a really interesting verse. Nobody dares say, who are you? Because they know it's him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is risen. He's, he's, he's now you know, glorified in his glorified body. And it's just amazing. I bring it up because people always ask me, you know, Pastor Tim, are we going to know each other in heaven? I think that's kind of a weird question. Why would you think we wouldn't? You know, if we all went to, you know, uh, Russellville, would we know each other in Russellville? Yes. You know, there's just no way, and I don't know where that question comes from, but it's interesting how they all know Jesus, but they've never seen him like this. So it's not really like, who are you? It's more like, you know, is it, is it really you? I mean, they know who it is, uh, but still, it's, it's almost hard to believe that they're seeing him like this. And, and that's how it's going to be when we see each other in heaven. I'm going to be like, you know, you know, is it really you, Charlotte? Is it really you? And of course it is. Uh, but we'll have never seen each other like we're going to see each other there. So, none of the disciples dared to ask him, you know, is it really you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I think forgiveness is hard. I think forgiving is hard. But honestly, I think in a lot of ways, being forgiven is especially hard, maybe the hardest thing of all. We talk about a lot of times how hard it is to forgive people. People often come to me and say, you know, Pastor Tim, I'm struggling with bitterness. I have a hard time forgiving. But we don't really talk about how hard it is to be forgiven. Have you experienced it? Have you ever just been forgiven? Have you ever broken your promise? You, you messed up. You, you, your sin is exposed. The relationship is broken, and you have to go beg forgiveness. Have you ever had that experience? In college, I had a landlord. She was also my professor, an amazing woman. I just loved her. But in the course of renting from her and living in an apartment behind her house, I once I made a promise to her, and I didn't keep my word. And I honestly had forgotten what I had said, 
And uh, there was a moment we were sitting outside in, on, on her back porch, and she, was, she asked me a question related to something I'd promised her. And I had to tell her, you know, no, I, 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 I didn't do that. And I was exposed her in that moment of just, you know, I, I don't want to say I lied to her, but I, I, I didn't keep my promise to her. And so in that moment, I'm looking her right in the face, and I understand that, that, that you know, she now knows that I didn't keep my word. And I just said, I'm so sorry. And, and, and truly, I was very, very sorry. I love this woman, and she was always very kind to this day, very, very kind to me. And she paused for a moment, and then she went like this. <laughs> she just went. <laughs> and she just continued the conversation, and I said, I, I just want to say it again, I'm I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And she just went, and she smiled at me. She forgave me on the spot. Now, she's my professor. I'm thinking, am I going to get a D? I mean, is, is this going to come back later at some point? Because often we struggle with forgiveness. I said forgiveness is hard, and it's very, very difficult to just forgive somebody, you know? Forgive them, and, and it's not going to be held over their head, and they're not going to get a D on the next paper they write. You know, and she just went. To this day, and it's been years, I just, every time I, I think of her, and I'm, she lives out of state now, I want to message her. I, I just always want to go, you know, I'm so sorry. Thank you. I'm so sorry. And I am just so sorry. I find it very difficult to be forgiven. Because when you're really, really forgiven, you don't deserve it. That's, that's the thing. You never deserve forgiveness. If, if you deserved forgiveness, it would be something else. It wouldn't be forgiveness. Forgiveness is always some sort of gift of grace and, and mercy. You understand? And so that day when she just forgave me, I, I just learned the most beautiful lesson. And I also told myself, I want to be able to do that. What she did. Because it's just marvelous and miraculous. And, and the way she just... For the sake of our friendship, for the sake of relationship, she just, you know, refused to let that offense be an offense. She just refused to let that ever come up between us again. And after that, when I would try to apologize or I would try to make amends, she would just, you know, it, it was over. It was forgiven. I find being forgiven a very, very difficult thing. I want to apologize forever. I want to grovel. I want to beg. I want to prove myself. I want to make myself worthy of, and, and I'm telling you, forgiveness doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. And, and if you've ever been in that situation, if you've ever been the one that had to beg for forgiveness, if you've ever been the one that made the promise, and then you broke the promise, and then you got a second chance, and then you blew that chance too, and you had to come back one more time. If you've ever been that person that didn't deserve it, that blew it, that messed up, that, that blew a hole in it, and yet you received grace, you received mercy, you received forgiveness, then, then you must know something about how it would feel to be Simon Peter in this moment. He had promised Jesus that he would die for him. He had told Jesus he'd go to prison for him. But, but then, as you know, as the story goes, Simon Peter ends up denying Jesus with, with lots of emotion and four-letter words. He said he loved Jesus, and yet, and yet, 
he contradicted that. He contradicted it, not just with his words, but with his life. He contradicted it. I want you to understand something. It's a very basic principle of the gospel. It's a principle in all of scripture, but it is most beautifully illustrated in this story today. Jesus will take you back. Jesus will take you back. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many chances you've blown. It doesn't matter how many times you said, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how many times he's already previously forgiven you. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. It doesn't matter how much wreckage and, 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 and despair you have left in your wake. I'm telling you, if you will return to him, if you will let him, Jesus will take you back. Jesus will take you back. You stand back at a distance. You continue to live with guilt and shame. And I'm telling you, he'll just take you back. He'll just take you back. Now, I don't really know exactly how it all works in John 21. I know that by this point, Simon Peter has seen the risen Christ at least twice. I believe, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Simon gets a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus as well. And I don't know that story. So I know that there are multiple moments when Simon Peter gets to see Jesus again after the failure, after his denial, denial number one, denial number two, denial number three. Simon Peter gets to see Jesus again, and Jesus restores him. Jesus just takes him back. There's no need to grovel. There's no need to beg. That There's no repeated, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jesus just takes him back. And Jesus will take you back. Maybe when you were younger, you made some grand promise to follow him with your whole life. Maybe you said when you were younger that you would go into missions and you would serve him on foreign soil. Maybe you promised him that you would live your life as a godly man, as a godly husband. And you've blown it. You've blown it. Your children won't speak to you. Your wife will have nothing to do with you. But can I tell you the good news? Jesus will take you back. Forgiveness is hard. And some people aren't even capable of, of offering it to you. But I'm telling you, Jesus is a forgiver. He will take you back. Jesus will take you back. So in this moment, this amazing moment, the risen Christ appears on the shore while Peter and about six other disciples are in the boat fishing. Now you're inclined to say they're fishing. Does that mean they're off mission? Does that mean that they're not following Jesus now? They've gone back to their old life? I don't think so. I don't really think so. When the scripture says that Peter, James, and John, the others you know, left everything and followed Jesus. They left their nets. I, I don't think that means that they were never going to put a line in the water again. I, it's not a sin to fish. These men live by the Sea of Galilee. This is what they know. This is all they know. And they're in this really strange in-between phase. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. But now he's alive. He's risen. Kind of appears randomly. Nobody knows where, how, or when he's going to show up. It's just this amazing 40-day period when Jesus just keeps popping in through locked doors. He just shows up. And, and so they're in this in-between transition when they're not exactly the kind of disciples, the kind of followers that they have been for three years, but they're not the church yet either. You understand? It's something in between. 
So in this in-between phase, they just are doing what they know to do. They go fishing. I don't think there's any sin, and certainly Jesus doesn't condemn them for that. Jesus does this an amazing thing here. The risen Christ, the glorified Jesus, appears on the shore and of all things makes them breakfast. He just makes... He makes them, he cooks them breakfast. Fish, roasted fish and bread cooked over an open fire on the shore. I mean, Jesus cooks them breakfast. It's just hard to imagine. It's hard to understand. But Jesus just cooks them breakfast. It's a very simple act. But it's also an intimate act to to eat together, to, to feed someone, to provide for them. It's It's just the most beautiful thing ever. So Jesus recreates the very fishing miracle that that introduced him to them in the first place. When he first said, follow me, he calls out from the sword, have you caught anything? They fished all night long and caught nothing. Jesus says, cast out on the other side, just like they did before. Only this time it takes them just a, a, a little bit less time to understand that the one that they're talking to is the maker of heaven and earth. It's the Lord. John says, so Peter jumps in the water. Peter had apparently taken off his swimming trunks to, you know, to be able to fish. And now to meet the Lord, he's got to scramble, you know, to cover his business back up. So that's what he does. Quickly gets his drawers back on and takes off to shore. You just got to love Peter. You know, in other words, like these, these guys can't row fast enough for Peter. Like he takes off, gets to the shore first. Drags the net full of fish to the, to the fire. They have breakfast. It's just the most ordinary, extraordinary thing ever. And after breakfast, Jesus has a moment with Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, he says, do you love me more than these? It's an amazing question, which Jesus is going to repeat three times, but Simon said to John, do you love me more than these? Okay, the question is, these what? Right? These what? Do you love me more than these? These what? Because honestly, I I think that's kind of a complicated question. And scholars aren't even sure. Like, what exactly is he talking about? Do you love me more than these? These what? Well, what are our options? Simon just dragged a net full of fish. And Simon's a fisherman. And Simon left fishing, of course, in order to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said, Simon, you'll follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men, fisher of people. So maybe Jesus is saying, Simon, do you love me more than these fish? 153, beautiful fish here. And if you're a fisherman, you you got to love that. You think that's what Jesus is saying? Simon, do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than the entire life that you lived before you ever met me? Do you love me more than these fish? You think that's what he's talking about? I don't know. I don't know. If you say that's what you believe, I'll just say okay. Because I don't know. But what are the other options? Well, what else is there? There 
there are other disciples, other disciples, you know, on the shore. So maybe Jesus says, Simon, do you love me more than these men? His brother Andrew's in, in the mix there. James and John, his business partners, are there. Do you love me more than, than these people? Do you love me more than people? Maybe it's that sort of thing. Do you love me more than these men? Do you love me more than you love anybody else? You know, something like that, maybe. And, and that's a good question. That's a good question. Because Simon loves his brother, I'm sure, and loves James and John, and probably just loves people. And maybe Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love everybody else? And that's a good question. You think that's what he's asking? Because I don't know. If you say that's what you believe, then I would just say okay. Because I don't know. There's another way to take that. Simon, do you love me more than these? It's still a reference to the disciples, but maybe Jesus is saying, Simon, do you love me more than these men love me? Do you love me more than they love me? Do you love me more than they do? I don't know what kind of question that would be but maybe it's a good question for Simon I don't know if that's what he means but if you tell me that's what you believe I'd say okay I don't know Simon's son of John do you love me more than these these what you say I don't know what he's talking about there maybe the fish maybe the other disciples but you know what I've decided I mean you know what I've just decided that the answer is I don't even think it matters I don't really think it matters because when you say that you love Jesus, you must say that you love him more, more than anything else. So whatever the question is, the answer is yes. Yes, more than the fish, more than these men, yes. Yes, I I just love you more. There's just simply no way to say that you love Jesus. There's no way to give your heart to him and then hold some part of your heart back for something else, for someone else. If you're going to love Jesus, then you have to love him first. You have to love him more. There's no other way. There's no half-hearted option here for following Jesus. There's no lukewarm level of love that you can offer him. He's Jesus. He is the Lord. Either you give him everything or you've given him nothing. Either you love him most of all or you can't really say that you love him at all. To say that you love Jesus is always, must always be to say that you love him more. It doesn't matter what the question is. You love him more. More than your job? Yes. More than your family? Yes. More than the Democrat Party? Yes. More than the Republican Party? Yes. More than money? Yes. More than sexual liberation and pleasure? Yes. More than cable TV? Yes. More than everything? More than your iPhone? Yes, yes, more. More, always more. If there's anything, anyone in your life that you love more than Jesus... Then, then that thing is your God. That thing is what you serve. That's the thing that you follow. There's no other answer. If you love him, you love him more than anything else, than everything else. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. That's weird. That's just weird. 
But then second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon says, yes. Yes, you, you know I love you. Take care of my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Scripture says third time it hurts. Third time it hurts. Jesus, you know everything. You know everything. You got to know I love you. Feed my sheep. What is that about? I mean, it's kind of beautiful, but what in the world is that? What is that? Like when somebody says they love you, like it's usually just kind of awkward if you say feed my sheep. You, you know, that's just, you know, somebody says I love you, you say, gee, thanks, I love you too. Nice of you to say so. It's amazing how Jesus does give Simon three opportunities to reaffirm his love because as you know, he denied him how many times? Three times. Yeah. He denied him three times standing outside by a charcoal fire, according to the story. So Jesus builds a charcoal fire on the beach, stands Simon beside it, and gives him three chances, three chances to just sort of reaffirm his love. One for every single time he denied him. That's beautiful. Recreating the moment is amazing. It, It establishes that it's the same Jesus The same Jesus that shared that moment from him before. It establishes this continuity of personality and relationship. All of that is beautiful. But what does this feed my sheep business, what does that even mean? How is that a response to what Simon says? Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I think what you have to recognize is that what Jesus does here is sort of shift the emphasis away from the words. Because let's be honest, at this point, how much do Simon's words mean? I mean, how much could they possibly count? Simon has already demonstrated that he can use words and deny Jesus with feeling and force. I mean, Simon has already used his words, used that very same mouth to disown Jesus. I mean, he's done it. He's already demonstrated the fact that his words may not mean anything. So at this point, I don't really believe that that Jesus is trying to get Simon to just say the words with, with more feeling. I don't think it's about the words at all. Because you'll notice every time Simon says, I love you, Jesus then gives him a, a command, an instruction, something to do. So I think the principle here is rather simple. You're not just supposed to say you love Jesus, you show him. Don't just say it, show it. I I know Simon loves Jesus. You know Simon loves Jesus. And Jesus knows Simon loves Jesus. But it's not enough just to have a warm feeling for Jesus in your heart. It's not enough just to have the words on your mouth. I mean, you know, if if the love is genuine, then then you're going to show it. You're going to live out that love with your life. And so Jesus tells him how to do that. 
Now, the amazing thing about Jesus is he never asked the disciples to do a single thing that he doesn't first demonstrate. He's going to do it in front of them or he's going to do it for them. So before this story is anything else, it's a feeding story. Do you see that? Before it's anything else, y'all, it's breakfast. It's warm fish and bread cooked over an open fire by Jesus' own hands, and then Jesus serves them. You understand? Before it's anything else, it's about feeding. So Jesus has just fed his lambs, fed his flock. He's just fed the disciples. So now he's telling Peter to feed others, to feed his sheep, to feed his lambs. Do you see that? Jesus is just asking Peter to show his love by doing a little bit for others of what Jesus has done for him. Do you see that? Because it's simple, but it's important. The way you show your love for Jesus is to show his love to others. You show his love to others. You do a little bit of what Jesus has done for you, you do it for them. I got this buddy, and I love to eat lunch with him. He's just a great, great lunch guy. He eats lunch. He eats lunch for business, and uh, it's always a time to get with him, and he's a great man of God, a good friend to me, and, and just, I'd rather eat lunch with him than anybody in the world, except he will never let me pay, never, never. Like every single time we go to lunch, he picks up the tab. And like I let him do it like the first 80 times. But after that, I started saying, listen, you know, man, I want to buy. I want to buy lunch. And he'd just say, no, no, no. I'd say, please let me buy lunch today. The only way I'm going to go to lunch with you is if you let me pay. He'd say, no. So I go anyway. <laughs> one day, well, one day, I decided to like get to the waitress first and say, listen, no matter what happens, I want both, you give, you give both tabs to me. I'm picking up the tab. You know what she said? Can't do that. Your friend already told me that no matter what happens, I got to give it to him. <laughs> seriously, seriously. This dude is like that. It's like that. I said, man, please let me get the tab. And he'll say, no, no. I say, I am begging you. I, I really want to buy you lunch. You have bought lunch for me a hundred times. I want to buy today. He'll say, no. I say, man, the Lord has laid it on my heart that I'm supposed to buy lunch today. He'll say, no. I say, man, I lay awake at night dreaming about buying you lunch. He'd say, no, no, no. So here's the thing. I discovered that for the rest of my life, this guy's going to buy lunch because you cannot buy lunch for him. You can't get ahead of him. You can't get around him. You can't outsmart him. He's going to buy lunch. But you know what else I've discovered? I can buy lunch when I'm with other people. I can buy lunch when I'm with somebody else. Man, it's just almost no way to pay this guy back, right? But I can do it for somebody else. Now you're all hoping I'm going to invite you to lunch now, aren't you? Yeah. I'll take you to lunch, y'all. I will. Um, do you see what I'm saying? I, I can't really do it for him but I've learned something about being with him. I've learned about generosity, and I've learned what, it's, what, it, what it feels like, you know. And so if I can't do it for him, I, I can still do it for somebody else. And, and I think this is what the Christian life looks like. 
Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Then you go feed my sheep. Understand, you, you go do for others now what I've done for you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Take care of my lambs. You understand? Don't just tell me that you love me. No, you just go, you show your love by, by doing a little bit for others what I've done for you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. You know everything. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. If you love me, then you show it by, by, by showing my love to others. You see, does that make sense? So what I want you to think about is how important it is for you to do for somebody else a little bit of what Jesus has done for you. I don't even know where you'd start. Let's start with forgiveness. The way Jesus has forgiven you, the way he takes you back every single time. Who do you think you are? holding other people's offenses over their heads. Who do you think you are? Jesus has forgiven you. He doesn't hold it over your head. When you do the very same thing that you promised Jesus you'd never do, and you come back and ask forgiveness, what does he do? He forgives you every single time. And the amazing thing about Jesus is it says that when he forgives, he casts it into a sea of forgetfulness. You and I cannot forgive and forget, man. I may forgive, but I will not forget. I mean, I, I can't. It just stays locked in my mind. But Jesus forgets. He really does. So when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me for this, he says, you're forgiven. And then you say, Jesus, and, and thank you for forgiving me all those other times. Jesus says, what other times? Understand? It's gone. It's gone. He's not keeping an account. If he did, then you couldn't even live. I couldn't either. He forgives. He puts it away. Now, if that's what he does for you, then do you know what you need to do, right? It means you go out and you start doing that for other people. Well, Pastor Tim, you don't know what she said to me. I don't care what she said to you. You got to forgive her. And you don't get to keep bringing it up. I mean, every time your husband messes up, you don't get to go back to 1989 when he messed up the first time. You don't get to keep bringing that up. That's not how it works when you're a follower of Jesus. What he does for you, you just do it for others. You just forgive. You just forgive. And when you forgive, you sacrifice the right to ever bring it up again. It's gone. They don't have to grovel. They're not going to be punished by you. It's over. I mean, that's how Jesus has nurtured us. That's how Jesus feeds us, right? With forgiveness, with grace and mercy. So now, if you love Jesus, now you just go, you do that for somebody else. Start with your own kids. Start with your parents. Start with your spouse. Start with whoever it is that just flies straight up your nose every time you think about it. Understand? The way Jesus has never, ever left you, never abandoned you, never forsaken you. Not one time, not one minute, not ever. Always you could call upon him. Always he would answer you. You may have been lonesome, but you have never been alone if you know Jesus. Now just think about the people around you, the people in your life who probably at this very moment feel abandoned. 
who worry at this moment that nobody cares, who wonder if they call out if anybody would answer. Do you understand? This, this is where you come in. This is your job now. Because Jesus is always there for you. And Jesus always answers when you call. So when others call out for help, you go. You go. That's your way of doing a little bit for others what Jesus has done for you. How else would you show your love for him? What, you just want to tell him? You just want to show up in church and sing songs to him? Because that's really, really good. But I promise you, if you love him, if you really, really love him, it's never going to be enough just to tell him you're going to want to show him. You're going to want to show it. And the only way to show it, I mean, the only option that's presented to us is right here when Simon looks at Jesus square in the face and Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? So that's your question today. It's a simple question. It's probably a question that you think you answered before. I would suggest to you that though you've probably answered this question before with your words, whatever you said by now, you've probably contradicted your promise to love him with your life, with your actions, with your denial. He'll take you back. He'll always take you back. But it doesn't mean you still don't need to figure out the answer to this question. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him? Don't just say it. Show it. Show it. Pray with me.